Welcome to Mere Utterance, the podcast where we explore small stories and the big impact they have on our lives. This week, for our inaugural episode, we sit down with Dr. Yi Ling Huang to talk about her journey across cultures and professional experiences to arrive at who she is today. With a PhD in machine learning and science communication, Yi Ling is an accomplished climate scientist, a passionate adventurer, a lover of good wine and better conversation. She is deeply curious about the universe, the living beings within it, and questions around what it means to live a good life. In this episode, Yi Ling shares the details behind her personal and professional journey as a researcher, engineer, and scientist, and delves into the core values that underpin her life philosophy. So, Yi Ling, thank you so much for being interviewed on today's show, and welcome. This is our inaugural episode Mm. so it's all very exciting I guess I just wanted to start off by asking you how you would introduce yourself at this moment in time thanks Jess for having me (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm very honored to be a guinea pig for this (laughs) program how would I introduce myself in this point in time Um, I think you caught me at a moment in my life that is a bit transitional so my answer might be very different from when, if you ask me like in two years, but right now <laughs> I would I say, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right now I would say I am in search of something that would give meaning to my life in the long term, because I've been doing research for quite some time now, like for more than 10 years. And I feel like while it is very fulfilling, I also feel like it probably isn't something that I would want to do long-term for the rest of my life. So I'm kind of in search of what I could do long-term and that would give me fulfillment and happiness, nice. sustainable happiness. Yeah, do yeah. You, I think I want to tap into that, okay. that, the latter half of that answer a little bit mm. later. But you mentioned that you've been in research for the past 10 years. Mm. What initially drew you to research? How did you get into research? I mean, I mean, do people fall into that? Do you aspire to that? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think it was a bit of both. It was a bit by accident because I've always been very interested in science. Like my best subjects in high school has always been um, mathematics, also physics, and also a big part is because of my teachers. I really like both my mathematics and physics teachers, and my dad is a mathematician, so I've always been really (laughs) interested in that by chance. So I kind of always knew that I wanted to do something that has a bit to do with science. And I chose engineering as my um, undergrad degree. And after my undergrad degree, I sort of fell into this opportunity to work at CERN, which is like a really big research organization. And I got really interested in research at that point in time. And also because the subject was so fascinating. We were basically trying to find the origin of mass yeah wow, so that was yeah exactly that was a question that is like really fundamental to physics at that point in time so I sort of like got really excited by it but I also got a bit delusional by the end of the four years I was there right I felt that oh I'm working on something that I couldn't see the impact the immediate impact right. of and I'm really impatient by nature so at the, that point in time I sort of like switched my career towards communication and working in nonprofit for a few years so that I can feel the immediate impact of what I was doing. Okay. So but there's then, like this slow yeah. transition from 
something where you can't see immediate impact to something where you're seeing it straight up yeah straight away. yeah right. yeah there was and yeah. what's that what's the time frame of that transition is that quick is that a slow process it was a uh i think it was over a year because i remember when i was doing research there was a part of um non-scientific aspect to the fellowship that i was doing that encourages us to actually branch out and do other as other things that is related to science but not exactly science right. So I was doing science communication at that point in time, and I was mm-hmm. like, this is really interesting. I really like communication. So I transitioned to work in Doctors Without Borders, which commu- which combines both communication and also immediate impact, because Doctors Without Borders like, works in um, crisis countries, so I really could see the impact immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think I worked for a few years in nonprofit organizations. I worked in a homelessness organization as well when I came to Australia. Oh, really? Yeah, um, but then I realized that I still actually really want to work in science. Right. I felt a bit like, oh, restless, I think was really? the word there. When I was working, yeah, at the homelessness organization, I sort of like, oh, this is really fun. This is really cool. I feel like I'm doing something meaningful. But there is this part of like something that is really deep inside me that is curious about a lot of things that are like unexplained. And I really want to explore that part. So I went back to do a PhD and then I sort of wander my way back to research. Wow. Yeah, so it's a very um, roundabout roundabout way. Wow, that's really yeah. interesting. So you mentioned that you did your PhD in Australia, but you're not originally from Australia. And I, to my understanding, you've travelled like everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> I have, yeah. Um, I suppose there are a lot of different questions I could ask around that. But I guess I more want to ask, like, what is it in you that wants to travel to different places? Mm. Because for me, I I get I kind of get restless and I want to move from one place to another. Yes. Do you have the same thing? You know, where did you kind of start off? And then how did you end up going on mm. this kind of journey that you've gone from place to place? Yeah, that's a really good question because I've actually never like consciously want to travel. Really? Yeah. I think when I was in Europe... I was just taking the opportunity because Europe is so big, but there are so many countries that you can literally take a train and be in another country in two hours. Mm. So I was a student and everything was traveling by train was really cheap. So I was doing that. And I think when I was in university, I was actually this really timid and shy and really awkward kid because I've never left my country. And I was like a kid that grew up in a very conservative and really reserved culture. And I was thrown into this country in Germany that was like completely different than what I've grown up with. So I sort of just thought, oh, I should use this opportunity to actually see other things. I want to use these five years that I'm in this new country and see as much as I could. And after that, I sort of got into the group because things were so cheap and I really enjoy traveling. So I sort of also stumbled into that. Yeah, and and, what was that initial transition like? Going from a conservative country to going to a place that was like very liberated. Oh, yeah, I still am trying to (laughs) digest that because, like, (laughs) so fair enough. Such a difficult question. Why do you ask me all the tricky questions? No, 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 that's a really good question. I mean, when I went to Japan, I went from a really kind of liberal country to a really conservative country, and I found that my whole personality changed. Yeah. And so I went from being relatively liberal 
to going to Japan and being very hyper aware of the rules and the social norms yeah. and how I should behave and act and my personality very much changed. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can relate yeah, to that. Just, yeah. Is that, I mean, a lot of students that I had in Japan too, when I would speak to them and they had traveled overseas, yeah. they're, you know, speaking to them was sort of like, interesting because they would say oh you know I really got to become a different person when I went to the US Mm. or when I went to the UK and yeah like what's that I mean I suppose that that cross-cultural experience is really different for everyone what was that like for you going from Malaysia right yeah Malaysia so you're going from Malaysia to the UK yeah super different yeah to to Germany my oh, first to country Germany. To Germany, yeah. Oh, Germany was your first country. Yeah, it was my first country. <laughs> wow, wait, did you speak any German? You think? <laughs> okay, why Germany, yeah. just by the way? Um, so it was also by chance. I'm telling you, like, my life is <laughs> full of things that happen by accident. Love That's it. why I always say ignorance is bliss. It so is. Yeah, because I go into things not knowing how hard it would be, because I always thought, oh, it's okay, it's going to work out. That's ignorance. But then I ended up, I really struggled the first few years. Really? So I went to Germany because I got a scholarship from the Malaysian government to actually study in Germany. Really? Yeah, and I didn't actually pick the country. It was decided for me. It was a scholarship awarded to students that perform well in the high school certificate. And they basically, because I wanted to study engineering and Germany was one of the best countries. So I sort of just like stumbled into that. And I did a German course in Malaysia for like two years, but that was very theoretical, completely different. And I remember the first, so Malaysia is a tropical country, so there is no snow, no winter, no four seasons. No thin air. (laughs) Nothing. So it was like 33 degrees when I left Malaysia and I landed in Germany in January. So there was a height of winter. Freezing. It was freezing. And we were told to get winter jackets before we arrived, but I couldn't find winter jacket in right, Malaysia, in Malaysia. Because, I'm, because it's a tropical country. Who would sell winter jackets? <laughs> yeah. So I was just freezing my ass off. And can I say ass? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. You can say whatever the hell you like. Just be me. I would have to say something I can't say. <laughs> it's so good. It's like, it's okay, it's not a it's not a children's podcast. <laughs> you can say whatever the hell you want. It's all good. Okay, so you get to Germany. Yeah. You get off the plane. I freezing got on the your plane, ass off. I was freezing my ass off. <laughs> and I got on the bus and I remember we stopped at this um, rest station, like pe- where people can eat. And I got off and I wanted to look for the restroom. And I was like, oh, this is my chance to practice my perfect German because I've learned two years of German. I passed my examination with like super high marks. I'm so confident. So I just walked up to the lady and spoke to her in perfect German, like, Könnten Sie mir sagen, wo ist die Toilette? In the best German. <laughs> and she looked at me and she was, she said, the toilet is over there in English. <laughs> so I was just like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And also, I thought I was like speaking perfect German, and she was like, "Oh, you foreigner, yeah. <laughs> you don't know what you're getting oh, yourself into." I love yeah. That. So that was the summary of my first year in Germany. I couldn't understand like most of my lectures. I couldn't make any friends. It was cold. I didn't have my family around me, 
and I was having some health problems as well and I called back home crying every single day and that was a really tough time. Yeah. But on hindsight, I think it was a really, really, really good experience. I grew up a lot. Solo I, travel does that. Yeah, exactly. And I think back to your question, what does traveling do to me? And I think that was it. It, it allows you, like you say, to like not to say become a different person, but to explore different aspects of yourself. If I hadn't done that, I wouldn't know that I have this reservoir of resilience in me that I can actually overcome this thing and actually survive. I love that. Yeah, yeah. so I think that was probably my biggest lesson. Really? I yeah. love that. That's such a great answer too because travel really gets... Yeah. You know, it gives you the opportunity to learn who, the depths of who you are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Otherwise, how would we know, like, what are you capable of, right? So yeah. I think that was the thing that really gave me the opportunity to Great. do that. And I was really, really privileged mm. to be able to do that. Yeah. And I know that, yeah. <laughs> and so you are in Germany for how many years? Five, the full five? I was in Germany for five years okay yeah and but the last year I was actually transitioning to do my master's thesis so I moved to Switzerland so I was living in two countries at the same time wow yeah that's hectic yeah that was hectic I moved to Switzerland (laughs) all alone so that was like yeah when I moved to Germany I had a bunch of friends with me we were all as scholars from Malaysia so I sort of have friends when I moved to Switzerland, I was all alone, so that was even scarier. So you sort yeah. of leveled up. You've gone from yeah. moving with friends to a foreign a country bit. to moving by yourself to another foreign country. Yeah, a little bit. Wow. Yeah. Um, but I think it was good because I, when I built up a sort of like resilience in Germany. So, and I, to be honest, I think um, my character or personality is probably not very German. <laughs> Fair. No offense at all, no, but it's just fair, like, certainly. yeah, exactly. And I think I was also in an engineering school and everyone was really serious and really um, engineer type of um, technical guys. And so when I went to Switzerland, I sort of like, I really like traveling to a new country and start a new life. Also in a way, because I feel like it's always an opportunity to reinvent yourself. Like you feel like, oh, I'm in this country and this is the part that I don't really like about myself. Now it's an opportunity for me to, you know, like what be a different you, person or yeah. something. Yeah. What did you want to reinvent in Switzerland? Yeah, so I really, I was really um, shy and quiet when I was in Germany. I didn't feel like I could be myself. I feel really repressed. And when I was in Switzerland, because um, I work in an international organization, so there were people from all over the world. Eastern Europe, everywhere, France, England, everywhere, Brazil. And so I got to know this group of friends who were very international. And I sort of felt like I was liberated. I could be myself. I could blossom. And I was like having the time of my life. I've always maintained my six years in Switzerland is the best time I've ever had. Because I really think that was the formative years. I really got to grow into my own skin, got to know people, learn so much about people, about the world. And I was doing interesting research. So that was a really, really good time for me. Mm. Do you have like a couple of takeaways from Switzerland? Because when I think of yeah. takeaways from Japan, mm. I spend a lot of time by myself. Yeah. But a lot of time with people as well. But I think mm. for me in Japan, I was really consolidating the strength in myself that I had sort of cultivated over the past few years. So for me, traveling abroad was consolidation. Okay. Um, what was that for you in Switzerland? Yeah. Let me think for a second. Consolidating. Yeah, I think that's actually like a good what would, way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. 
Um, I think for me it was more about self-discovery. I think I was just really stressed and busy when I was in Germany. And when I was in Switzerland, I sort of also, I think I came to a point in my life where I was starting to ask the questions about who I want to be at that point in time, yeah. which is probably what you experience in Japan, like when you're in a very foreign country and there is so much input and you sort of like, oh, who can I be? I can be anything. There are so many choices. What do I want to be? And that was my feeling, like people are so different. There are so many options in life, but who am I? What do I want to be? When you are like tyranny of choices, there are, you know, sometimes <laughs> yeah. it's just like a bit crippling. So for me at that point in time, I sort of like, okay, what are my values? What do I really want to be? I can be anything I want to be. Nobody's going to judge me because it's such a free society. Instead of, you know, in Asia and Malaysia, there is one model of a good person. Whereas in that environment, you could be anything you want to be. Nobody's going to judge you. But it's also a little bit paralyzing if you think about you can be anything you want to be. So I think that was my biggest takeaway when I was in Switzerland. It's a very much a process of self-discovery. And who did you want to be? Um, yeah, I think at that point in time, I really wanted to be... I, I discovered that my value wasn't driven by money. I never thought of that before. I always thought success was defined by money and status oh, wow. and having a good job because yeah. that's how I was brought up to such a societal yeah, expectation exactly. is that your worth is your occupation yeah it's very much tied to that and also your identity is very much tied to how much you earn what right. kind of job you have and at that point in time I was like there are people who because scientists don't earn a lot of money to put it frankly not a lot at all <laughs> but then they are the happiest people in the world and they are so interesting so at that and I was like, oh, okay, in order to be happy, I don't actually need money. I get my fulfillment from actually doing meaningful work. And I was like, oh, okay, I couldn't actually make this my living. I will live well and be happy at the same time. So that was kind of like, yeah. Is that similar to who you are now? Has that changed between no. now and then? No, no that's not at all. Like your I think that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I think you really got to that because I think that was what solidified at that point in time. And I have kept that all throughout. Until now. A lot of other things probably have changed <laughs> since that time, but not that part. Wow. Like, I know that money is not what drives me. Yeah. I mean, it's it's good that, or it's fine if it drives other people, but it's not my value. Mm. And I'm like, I've stuck to that. And I think that's, um, yeah. What's, mm. What is your value? If you sum up your primary values... That's a very also that's a very big question. It's a very big question, and it's a really good question because I just did this exercise. But also, yeah, take your time on it too. Because it's yeah, time. yeah. I've actually um, gone through this practice or this exercise that a friend Isabel, our common friend, shared with us. Um, so it's about finding your core values through a series of questions, and it's sort of like helping us develop our values but in the ter- in terms of verb so like what would you do to to be consistent with your values and <clears throat> through that exercise i remember my i think there were five values like your core values from the first to the fifth and mine the first one was actually to practice mindfulness in everything i do as well as what i think about mm. So I think I've always been someone who is 
trying to balance between having um, struggling between like maintaining my inner peace and also fighting for the good cause in right. inverted quotes and yeah so that was something that I realized was really important for me and the second one was actually to develop a deep state of joy yeah and oh, I think I love that yeah. that's so important I too. know exactly and I think there is a very misconception about the concept of joy because joy is very different from happiness and cheerfulness so true I yeah. so agree how so though exactly I think like um, there is happiness as pleasure and happiness as meaning and joy is more like happiness as a meaning. Mm. It's more internally spawned, whereas mm. happiness is maybe more external. Like you have good food, you have good sleep, <laughs> you know, yeah. good friends, everything. Not that those are not important, but they are more externally driven because they can be taken away from you. Right. Whereas joy is something that is deep inside you, is a resource that you can draw from. And it's something that you have to really cultivate. And it's a really hard thing to achieve. So true. Yeah, yeah, so when we talked about being mindfulness, and I suppose to a certain degree, mindfulness is also integrated with the cultivation of joy. Yeah. What does cultivating joy look like for you? Because I imagine mm. it looks very different to lots of different people. Mm. How have you, or how do you cultivate joy in your everyday oh, life? Oh, that is such a good question. How do I cultivate joy? I am honestly still learning. I think something that is really important for me is to know myself, like authenticity, to really know what drives you, what are your values. So I have to go back to my values again. And if I, I feel like if I'm doing something that is consistent with my values, I will automatically be joyful. And I have like, I, I didn't just like say that because it's a good theory, although it really is a good theory, but I've actually experienced it. Like when I'm reading, when I'm by myself, when I'm contemplating, when I'm like talking to friends, I derive a lot of joy from good conversations with friends and not like a lot of friends, like just a few that like we talk about things that matter to us, matter to mm. humanity. And I get so much joy from that exchange. And also like um, just, I don't know, I think it's a, it, there is a very big part of solitude in the way I derive joy, but also a very big part I derive joy from having good relationship with other people, but people who probably um, have the same values as me as well. Mm. So I think for me, there is a very big uh, contemplative part, but also social part yeah. to that joy. Yeah, That's beautiful too, mm. because it's one of those things that, feel like society expects us to inherently know how to cultivate joy and we really don't really have to work at it it's so true yeah yeah and we don't learn those things in school although they are so important right yeah yeah totally. like we learn how to work in school how to be productive how to like well, how to earn produce a living. Yeah, yeah how to produce for sure but never how to be a good person or, how to live a good life yeah. Or what your core values are. Exactly. Either. I mean, we're yeah. talking about core values. Yeah. If we don't learn how to identify that or how to navigate how to just be a decent human being. I know. And live yeah. in accordance with, you know, what we're passionate about yeah. and what drives us and gives us life. Yeah, exactly. Right. So yeah. you said some of your core values, mindfulness, joy. Mm -hmm. What were the others? The third was, let me recall, I think it was being, being of service. The fourth was guiding my career towards making a difference. And the fifth was lightheartedness and curiosity. Oh, that one's beautiful. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that too. Yeah. Right. Um, 
Yeah. Nice. Those are the babies. We really need that one. I feel like that's a common one that we all yeah. need a little bit more of. Yeah, lightheartedness, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. That was like such a big part because I feel like the life is grim if you want to think about it. <laughs> Seriously, everything is so... And, and you turn on the news and you're just, <laughs> you turn on the news everything is like, like oh there is war there is a pandemic they're yeah. flooding yeah this is, everything is going so bad but then amidst all this we're all going to die someday and you can tiptoe through life and arrive at death but what what is the point totally why don't you dance around a bit oh, right <laughs> That's so beautiful. I love that. It's <laughs> so true, right? Oh, I'm going to have to frame that and put it up on a wall somewhere. Please it's not. such a good reminder. Yeah. Okay, so... Sort of that, yeah. Yeah, okay. I love that. And mm. so those, those are your core values. Mm. Um, and where we left off was sort of Switzerland. Mm. Then you came to Australia and you're about to embark on another journey mm. as well which is very exciting and very sad for us to lose you i know um yeah. so i guess i want to talk briefly about your time in australia mm. and then sort of up to the transition that you're moving on now so like mm. um i guess how did you come to be in australia mm. um yeah i remember i was working at doctors without borders and i was it's very boring. I got very <laughs> burnt out. <laughs> yeah, I was working a lot and I was sort of, I got, I was a bit lost, just plain and simple. It was like, oh, I, I'm working for a cause that is really meaningful and gives me a lot of satisfaction. And I love the people I work with. The organization is amazing. But why am I so tired all the time? So then I think I feel a bit burnt out. And I also was sort of trying to like oh I want to go back to science but I don't know how to and I think it was my partner Glenn at that point in time was also feeling a bit disillusioned with his own work and I think we were both still like in youngish and we're like oh let's go somewhere in the meantime like we don't have a lot of responsibilities we can still travel why don't we go somewhere so we just sort of like look at the map and my criteria was I want to go to some a country that is warm and English speaking, preferably. <laughs> <laughs> because I want to be able to go into the bookshop and then, you know, find English books. That was what I missed the most when I was in Europe. <laughs> so I was like, okay, let's go to Sydney. And that was very random. And he applied for an MBA program. And that was, he got in. And basically, we just flew here. I had nothing, no job, no friends, nothing. That's we wild. had two suitcases and we landed in Sydney. He went to uni and I was like, oh, I'm free to do whatever I want. What should I do? <laughs> That's wild. That is crazy, oh I know. Gosh. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> really. <laughs> that is the moral of the story. Is it is. Ignorance is really is bliss. Totally. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. that also embrace that. Yeah, and it also aligns with your core values, <laughs> right? Yeah, of exactly. being, you know, lighthearted and following what you're passionate about yeah. and cultivating joy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that you live your values. That's so good. Um, yeah. Okay, so when did you actually, like, what year was it that you actually... It was 2014 June. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I arrived and it was winter and I still remember, <laughs> like, <laughs> I took You're a landing picture. in these new, new countries in the middle of winter. In the middle, always, right? <laughs> it's a matter of principle. <laughs> it must be in winter. 
<laughs> yeah, it was winter. We went to the Sydney Opera House and we took a picture, like like all tourists. And then I posted it on Tumblr and I was like, hello, new life. Like, really happy. And everything was like bright and shiny. Um, and at that point, I didn't have a job. And I was like, oh, what can I do? And I wanted to start my own business at that point in time. I actually went a little bit into entrepreneurship. and um, But my business failed. Um, so it was about, I wanted to start a platform where I can provide help for people who wanted, um, coding advice, because I remember when I was in CERN, when I was having some problems at work, like coding problems, I wanted to ask for help, but it was difficult. Like sometimes it's a very specific question. So I wanted to have a platform where people can just ask questions and a mentor, I call them code mentors, would just provide a service, like from a very specific question. Um, that didn't really work out, but I'm glad it didn't because I don't think going into um, entrepreneurship is for me, at least um, for-profit business. It's not really for me. And so I then went and worked for a homelessness organization uh, based in Parramatta for a year. And I was, um, uh, I was helping people who are marginalized get housing. And that was really, really good. The work was really meaningful and I got to know a lot of um, very, very passionate and socially conscious friends whom I'm still friends with today. They were my first friends um, Mm. in Australia. But there is always this little voice in me that I want to go back into science. So what was it Yeah. What was it that drew you back into science after all that? Yeah, I remember it was after a year that I worked in the organisation that I... I just felt like this is not a, this is not where this is not where I ultimately want to be. Like I don't I can't imagine myself working in this role forever. And so I applied for a PhD program at UNSW, but at that point in time I was just like I'm just going to do it and I'm a foreign student, so I if I don't get a scholarship I will have to pay. So I told um, my partner, Glenn, that if I don't get a scholarship, I will not do it. Well, I'll apply anyway. Um, and then I didn't get a scholarship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Australia is very, very selective in the people they give scholarships to. Right. Um, so I didn't get a scholarship and I was really, really sad. I remember when I received that email, I was really, really sad. And I think um, my partner was really um, supportive. He was like, doesn't matter. We'll still do it. Do it anyway. And I was like, okay, right, good. All right, I'll do it. Right. So then I decided, okay, I'll do it. And, and again, ignorance is bliss because... I had to work like three part-time jobs during my PhD to pay for the fees, which wow. was really, really high. Wow, that's wild. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was like, oh, I, I was like, oh, I wouldn't have done it today because it was such <laughs> a crazy process. Yeah. But yeah, again, ignorance is bliss. I went into it thinking, oh, I can do it. Of course I can do it. And you did it. And I did it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. Wow, I think it, that yeah. would have been, that sounds like an incredible journey. And so you did it. As we yeah, know. you yeah. finished it, and then yeah. you went into climate science. Yeah. Climate science, yeah. right? And you worked in that for how many years? I so my PhD was three years, yeah. and after my PhD, I sort of again switched gear, and I work in. I got a postdoc, and I work in climate science, which is what I'm doing right now. Mm. 
so researching climate. I think I've always wanted to work for the environment for the environment because my degree was actually in renewable energy when I was in Germany. So I sort of like again another circle, a big roundabout, and I sort of got to where I started. Well, that's sort of the culmination the of the science and yeah. the action yeah. in one. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So mm. you've been doing that for mm. a while and now you're undergoing another big shift and you're about mm. to move overseas. Mm. Tell me about that process as mm. in what happens in, in you to make you want to shift again. Mm. Is it back to a values thing again or the end of a season I think it was a combination because I was looking for a job because my contract was only for three years so it was a practical issue as well I had to find a job and job in climate science is scarce Mm. in Australia so I sort of have to branch out and look in other places as well and this job in Vienna my next station was really serendipitous because I think um, I'm very new to the field, so I didn't have high hopes of getting a job anywhere else. I was like, I, can't, I will get any job. Anything I can get, I will take. And I remember the interview with this scientist, Carolyn, whom I really respect, a female scientist. I've read all her papers. I've always wanted to work with her. And I remember that interview you, when you just click with someone and we had such a good conversation. It wasn't even all about science. It was everything. She was so curious about my background, what I really want to be, like my passion, my hobbies, everything. And I remember there was such a good conversation that after the interview, I thought to myself, even if I don't get the job, I don't lose anything because I had such a good time talking to her. <laughs> Yeah, so I wrote her an email. I was like, thank you so much for the time. And even if I don't get a job, thank you so much for sharing your time with me. And I didn't hear back for like three or four months. I was like, okay, that's fine. But then I got an email like after four months that I got the job. And I was like, yay. (laughs) The universe works in a mysterious way. And I think it's just, sometimes it's just meant to be. You're you're, you're where you're meant to be. And I think this is where I'm meant to be for my next stage Mm -hmm. in life. So I'm going to move back to Europe. Vienna yeah oh that's beautiful <laughs> I love it and it sort of comes see, around yeah. circle doesn't it yeah it does oh, yeah that's so beautiful yeah <laughs> um and it's really interesting to see how you live your values in a practical way um I think it's really easy for people to maybe label their values but harder for mm. people to live in accordance with them mm. my concluding question my final question is what are you most curious about at the mm. moment? What's sort of yeah, what what's getting your interest and what are you what are you curious about? About myself or about people Any, in general? Yeah, anything. anything I guess. I mean yeah, mm. I mean I think yeah. um Okay, I'm going to quote something, it's going to sound so pretentious. <laughs> I'm all for pretense, but it's the first thing, yeah, right? <laughs> okay. It can't be authentic all the time. No, of course not. Yeah. We, yeah, we don't just have wisdom naturally in built. I know, right? <laughs> sometimes we've got to read, so be quite pleased. Exactly. Sometimes we just got to, like, <laughs> pretend to be wise. So. Make it until you make it. Exactly. It's like half my life is just like, I totally know what I'm doing. 
matter. You are who you pretend to be. So make sure who you pretend to be is a good person. Right? Take that on notice. Yeah, Thank yeah. you so much. So, um, Immanuel Kant, some a philosopher that I really respect, says, um, uh, I'm pr- paraphrasing, so please forgive me if I phrase it wrong. He <laughs> said, there is one thing that has, um, that humanity of every person has always, has, that has evoked awe in admiration in every person. Um, the two things are, the universe above, the starry star skies above, and the moral universe within. And that is like, when I read that, I was like, this is so true. It really resonated with me. So I'm really curious about one thing is space. Like, it's such a fascinating subject for me. And like, I feel that there is still so much unknown, multiverse and the concept of infinity, like the, the universe is infin- infinitely big. And we are and like, expanding. you know, so small. We are just this small part. And are we even alone and all these different subjects? And yeah, so I feel like, oh, I might not live long enough to know the answers to all these questions. And I will like always be really like, I will, be, I will regret not living long enough to know these questions. That's, so that is one thing that I'm really, really curious about. And the other thing is the moral universe within. So what I want to become at the end of the day, like when I'm old, what is the legacy I want to leave behind? What are the values that would I be able to live through to my values to the end of my days? Would they change? Like all these things. But also, what is the value of humanity in general? Like, where do we want to go? Because I feel like the way we are living right now is probably not sustainable. But I feel like we are struggling to find what is the universal ideology or the, you know, there is globalization in economic sense. But what about a spiritual globalization? What is our common value? How can we survive? You know, like, obviously, the way we are living now is like at the expense of the environment. I'm speaking of that because I'm a climate scientist and I know intimately how important that is for us. But we are not actually doing what is good for ourselves. So I feel like we have some kind of reckoning to do. So I feel that is an existential existential angst that I feel in myself, but also on behalf of our humanity. And I think that is something that I really want to know like in the next few years. Beautiful. Mm. I love that. Thank you so much. That's such a beautiful answer. Mm. Yeah, thank you yeah, so much. Thank you. Um, Oh, you leak, I love it. Oh, yes. <laughs> so nice. Makes me emotional. <laughs> and Tara too. Um, <clears throat> is there anything else that you want to share about your story or anything else really pertinent to who you are or the culmination of what you've learned mm-hmm. that you'd like to share? Thank you so much, Jess, for that question because there is actually something that is weighing on me that I thought like I should talk about, but I didn't. I didn't actually um, and that is my identity I always that is something that I've been thinking about the past few weeks since I got this break from work and I think it is something that arise because of my conversation with my dad and um, I feel this is probably not the most eloquent way to put this but 
I feel that I have been so good. Like you say, I've like everything that I've talked about. I've traveled around. I've done all these things, little things. But I have been so adept at fitting in to the country or the place that I'm in that I have. I think I have lost a bit of who I am or my cultural roots. And I sometimes feel like a rootless person because I don't belong anywhere. And I have sort of been trying to get back to my Eastern or my Asian roots. And I've been trying to learn a lot about my um, my Chinese um, culture, like Taoism and things like that, and like, talking to my dad and also reading things. And I sort of think that in answer as an answer to my question before about this identity crisis that humanity is facing um, I think there is probably value in also incorporating things from the east because I sort of feel like I have been so I don't I hate the word westernized because I don't really like this word it, it sort of signifies divide between east and west whereas I don't think there is a divide but I feel like there is a, a need for humanity and also for me to ponder that more deeply. Like harmony with the environment, in Taoism, it is a lot about being at peace, being at one, being in harmony with the environment. Human beings are not the center of the universe. We need other living beings. They are all the same as us. We need to think about them in everything we do. And also, um, the 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 issue of interconnectedness. I think that we are all connected to each other. Like there is no divide. We are more similar than we are different. Not just between human beings, but also between us and other living beings and other everything on Earth. And I think that is something that I've sort of lost touch with since I left my home country when I was eighteen, and I want to get back into that. And someday, I hope that when I'm like in a position of change, I'll be able to bring that to what I ultimately want to do. Oh, I love that you talk about going back to our Eastern roots. What's it like rediscovering that? Because I've like, when you leave your country and you go to another place and you go to another country and you kind of rediscover who you are there, mm. how do you come full circle to realize I need to recapture that? And what does that what does that feel like? It's, uh, it feels really confronting, right. to be honest. I think uh, it's actually a kind of regret I feel for myself. Like, uh, I don't know, it's maybe a survival mechanism for myself. Like, I always feel like, oh, I need to fit in. I need to be someone that um, people accept. And that is probably a, a kind of weakness. I always want to please people that I'm around. And... And I lost a bit of myself in that process. And then, so when I start to think more deeply about this, in accordance to my values, like, you know, to be authentic, to be mindful of what I do and what I think about. And also, when I realize that, oh, the things that we are actually doing is not really working. Is there an alternative way to, to live, to, to, you know, be a good person? And it sort of made me realize that, yeah, that there are, are there, there is value in other culture and we probably 
need to be a little bit more humble in the way we live and look at other things and just to expand our perspective. I think sometimes there is value in that. And I come from that culture. It's just it wouldn't be it wouldn't be authentic if I don't actually think don't consider that part of myself. So yeah, yeah. sort of going back to my roots. I love that. Hmm. Yiling, thank you so much for coming on here today and for joining us and for being so candid and open and vulnerable. I really, really loved chatting with you and thank you for your honesty and vulnerability. It's been thank lovely. Thank you so much, Jess. I really enjoy talking about that and I feel like I actually got to know myself a little bit better. Awesome. Talking. So thank you, Jess. And thank you, Tara, behind the scene. This yeah, is such you. a lovely program. I love this. <laughs> I love you so much. We love you. Thank you for the work you do. Thank you so much for joining us for our very first episode with Yiling. This conversation was so important and impactful for us, not only because it was our first interview, but also because the themes Yiling touches on here as she tells her story are the same themes that led to the development of this podcast in the first place. The dedication to living authentically and curiously, but at the same time in total accordance with your core values is something many aspire to, but few take the time to actually cultivate. This conversation inspired us at Mere Utterance to reflect on our own core values and evaluate whether we were living in line with them. It even led us to make some career changes and reiterated to us the importance of sharing stories and how valuable the experiences of others can be as we navigate our own journeys. At Mere Utterance, we want to create a community of storytellers. And so we welcome you to visit our website, check out our blog, leave a comment or send us a message. We would love to hear your thoughts on this conversation and would love even more to hear some of your story. Thank you again for joining us and remember, Everyone has a story, you just need to ask the right questions.